Chase, you got a copy, Chase. Yeah, go ahead. 11 minutes gone. I'll be over in a minute. Time, temperature, and concentration. Read the work order. Safety glasses. You're not done with that yet? Hey, put on some gloves. Can you please just follow the process? Make sure you put your respirator away. The solvent rags go over the side of the trash can. Where's your wet film gauge? Make sure you're putting tags back on the parts. Did you milk check that? Put your tools away. This Chase. KazerCast episode 19. We've got a great interview today with Duck Blind Mike or Mike Cunningham. Um, good longtime customer of Kazer's and now just, just really good family friend. Um, so that's coming up. It's going to be great. We'll laugh a lot. Chloe is in Lincoln with me in the Kazer studio. If we want KazerCast studio. The Kazer studio. <laughs> I love that. So we had a fun week with Chloe being back in Lincoln. It's always fun for me. I don't know if it's fun for her. I assume it's fun. It is. This week went so fast. It did. Normally I come back for two, and I think that that might be like a better interval of time. I just feel like one week is not enough yeah. to get done you can all do of the like things. like 52 weeks if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Have to talk my husband into that one. <laughs> I'm working on it. Um. So yeah, we're doing some, we've been doing a lot of, I've been thinking a lot about training. We've got a theme in social media coming up on training. Chloe was back helping with training. So we've talked about hiring for a long time, and we finally, that, that train's rolling and moving along and doing good. And we've got, um, we've had some new people on the shop floor and even more starting soon. We found another really good person in the office, Abby, another Abby, Abby N. So we have Abby C, which is the old Abby who's still with us, Abby C, and the new Abby, Abby N. So Chloe's helping train her. And um, we also got a new estimator on the commercial and residential painting side um, that Jay runs. But we kind of, since we're really into the hiring, we helped with that. And then I ended up, I was helping train Thomas. Um, so he just finished his first week. So I've just been focused on a lot of training. I was sitting there listening to the intro. And uh, when I recorded that um, it seemed right, but I think I need to adjust it now because that's, that's all me like harping in a, it's in a funny way, mm. but I feel like I, I critique in a more encouraging way now that I have to train so dang much. That's interesting. You've evolved. I have. You must be mentally drained. I just can't imagine training two different people in two different jobs for the last couple of weeks. Like that's a lot. Yeah. This week tested my patience more than more than most yeah i don't know if that was evident or not was it um i'm obviously like you're pulled in a million directions and i'm, I'm certain you're tired yeah. um you didn't show any kind of frustration that yeah, i could see that's good that means i'm getting better at hiding it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah just a lot a lot of training and i'm um steve p who's been working in the powder coating shop since the beginning of uh december doing a really good job um, 
he's worked a couple half day Saturdays helping me with a few things. And I like that because I get to help. I've been teaching him a few stuff that's hard to teach during the day because it just takes time. Trained him on the forklift. Um, never been on a piece of equipment before, but he wanted to learn. He's doing really good with that. But it's just, um, even today, so I was in the shop with him and we were just doing some stuff. And it's just like, it just takes time for people. To, you know, that you're not going to get it on your first try. You need repetition. You need to be able to do it and after somebody tells you and mess it up and do it slow and ask questions and we're so going like crazy all the time wide open as hard as we can go that we just don't we don't allow that time to happen we don't spend time for like a week with just somebody learning everything and how it all goes so they just get thrown in Mm -hmm. we try harder to train now but it's just there's even like little stuff when i was working with them today like have you done this like nope and I'm thinking, God, he should have done that by now. But it's just, we're going so fast, so we put people in the position where they can succeed and do the easy things and help with the extra set of hands. And then it's kind of like when we come up to something like we need a new person to help with, but we think we don't have time to spend right now, so let's keep them over there doing that simple stuff that they're good at right now. And then we turn, we just it creates a problem because the more difficult stuff nobody else can ever do. It's only like me or Chauncey or, or Klein. Um, and eventually we just got it. I'm to the point now where I I'm willing to let it go and let it take longer and let it get messed up and let people make mistakes as long as we're being safe and somebody doesn't get hurt. Um, but, uh, Chauncey and Klein still are since they're, since they don't want to disappoint me or don't want to come to me and say, well, this got messed up because I was trying to let them learn something because they're afraid that I'm going to be like, what the heck? Why did you, you know? Mm -hmm. So I got to try to create a, a better communication with them and a better environment to where everybody is on the same page that like the new person's got to learn the difficult stuff eventually. Yeah. Otherwise we're never going to get anywhere. Yeah. Cause then the problem becomes if like, one of us isn't available to do the difficult thing, but the new person can't. It's just like, then what happened? Like, we can't. All of a sudden, we come to a screeching halt. Yep. So. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of risk involved in training if you're doing it right, I think. Yeah. You're handing over reins to things that are near and dear to your heart, and you're supposed to because that's going to help you. Um, And I think you probably also, having done this for several years, are like keenly aware that you could spend all of this time and then the person could just not come back to work. Yeah. Right? And so you've been burned that way before. um, And I imagine that's hard to get over. Yeah. So that's part of it. So I guess after they've been there for a month. Right. I I need to kind of come up with a formula in my mind of like if they've been there for a certain amount of time, like, okay, now they do need to come in on some Saturdays or... Because that's really the best time to learn is when it's slowed way down and we're not relying on that person to do it quickly. You know, everybody's sitting there kind of like watching and waiting like, wait, I need that card, I need that card. Because mm-hmm. it just, you can't learn that way. The per- event, like the new person is just going to, if it's not going right or not going fast enough, they're just going to bail out. Like, oh, you just do it. I can't, I'm, I'm not, I'm taking too long. Because yeah. they can sense it, they know, yeah. you know, so... I was thinking recently about how we need to have a training school because we've been talking about hiring and education and that whole process. Kaiser Academy. Yeah. And just devote, I don't know, staff to just training people. Yeah. 24 right. 7. 
churning them out. And you could be the English teacher. Right. <laughs> Not that that's a useful skill on the shop floor, and but in- sure. Increase everybody's vocabulary. It's the worst <laughs> when you're ghostwriter which chloe writes every any type of copy chloe writes so that's not me it looks like it makes me look really really good (laughs) and it without fail every blog that i read through to approve i'm like "Mm, i don't know what that word means i feel like i'm pretty (laughs) smart but obviously my vocabulary is weak apparently and so i'm always like googling a word and like oh interesting yeah that word does fit there do you remember them in the future sometimes there you go (laughs) <laughs> I don't remember the one most recently. It was a kind of a weird one. But succinct. Succinct. What's the what's the definition of succinct again? Succinct means um a lot of information in few words. So getting uh, straight to the point. Yeah, which is what I do. So yeah. that's a good way to describe me. Did you have time to fix anything this week or was it all just training? Well, we uh I usually like only do like forklift maintenance once a year and uh i noticed there was an oil like there's oil leaking underneath of one of our forklifts so i had to like dive into the inside of that figure out what was going on there so i ended up figuring that out but yeah there's just a little stuff like that i'm a perfectionist we talked about this earlier this week that i'm a perfectionist to a fail you know to a fault i should say and i'm realizing that more and more it's probably okay to hold my own self to that high of a standard and and be really frustrated with myself when I make mistakes and when stuff isn't perfect, but it's a recipe for disaster when I'm in my mind, I hold people to that level of perfection. I don't actually ask them to, or, um, yell at them because of it, but like in my mind, I'm frustrated Mm -hmm. about it. So I gotta, I need to work on that. Because then I end up just doing everything myself. So yeah, it's like yeah. accepting that it's going to be 8 out of 10. Yeah. And we're going back to the training conversation of how do you, yeah, yeah, hand over tasks that you're used to doing a certain way, trusting that someone can do it differently and still get it right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard. But there is a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. <laughs> that sums up Jace's worldview, <laughs> if I've ever heard it in one sentence. <laughs> We're going to write a blog titled, There is a Right Way to Do Things and a Wrong Way to Do Things. There is. That is a perfect blog. Yeah. I'll go to the grave thinking that. All right. Um, I know you said that you might you don't really have a social media tip of the week, but what's what's been your vibe on social media lately? Um, yeah. So actually, you reminded me that uh, I do have a social media tip of the day. It's a quick one this time. Um, use Reels. <laughs> That's the tip. Um, especially if you're already creating content for TikTok and kind of, you know, vertical video. Um, if you're not publishing it to reels on Instagram, then you're missing out on this ridiculous organic reach that is going on right now. Um, we had the same video posted both to TikTok and Instagram and the, I want to say on TikTok, it got like 300 views on reels. It was closer to 10,000. That's really good. Um, is yeah, that our just best wild. one, you think? One of the best ones on um, We've had a few with multiple thousands of views on Reels. Which is really surprising because like Instagram organic reach is low and like nobody right. sees something when you post regularly, like a picture. Yep. But obviously 10,000 people saw the Reel, which yeah. is really like earth shaking in terms of, I don't know how many followers we have, but it's not, not even that over, many. It's not even over a thousand. No, though, we but. might be hovering right around a thousand. Okay. Yeah. So. 
So so take advantage. It's a it's a land grab. And also uh, LinkedIn surprisingly well for us recently. Yeah. Apparently we're doing something that they like. So yeah, it's always been pretty decent organic reach, but it's been working really good. So that pretty much takes care of open segment. Um, so today we have Duck Blind Mike. His real name is Mike Cunningham, but we always call him Duck Blind Mike down at Kaiser and known him for a long time. We call him Duck Blind Mike because that's his business. He makes duck blinds and then delivers them all over the United States. And he's also a really avid hunter. So we'll talk to him about all that stuff and probably a little bit of other personal background from him because he's a unique guy and always has something funny to say. All right, on KaiserCast episode 19 today, the guest is Mike Cunningham. We know him at Kaiser as Duck Blind Mike because he has been a customer of Kaiser since I think we started powder coating. And all we powder coat for him is duck blind. So that's why we call him Duck Blind Mike. Mike, how are you doing this afternoon? Fantastic. Glad to have you. Hopefully we get some good laughs. Mike is a pretty big jokester. And we got Chloe here too. Hi, Mike. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. I'm glad to be on. So we just wanted to kind of um, kick this off by getting to know you a little bit. Um, so can you tell us about your upbringing, your childhood, your hobbies as a kid, and how you developed an interest in hunting? I sure can. I mean, I I was a, a, a farm kid that never lived on the farm. Um, my grandparents were farmers. My aunts and uncles were farmers. But my dad was a school teacher. So I actually lived in town and and always got to go out and work on the farm and be around. And of course, when, you know, back in the late 60s, early 70s, when you're a kid on the farm, you usually have a BB gun or a 410 or something, and you're you're always hunting something. And uh, that just kind of progressed through my life um, uh, because I didn't live far from Tecama, Nebraska at the time. And that's where um, some of the best waterfowl hunting was. And... My, my goal was always to be in that group of guys that got to go duck hunting every day. So so ever since you were young, you, you were duck hunting even when you were yeah, like a teenager? Yeah, I, I, I got to go when I was six years old. 1968 was my first trip. Yeah, that's how old I am. So, and was that with your uh, dad? I mean, who, was, who introduced I, I, you? I got to go along with my dad, but we went to Ralph Kohler's place. And Ralph is uh, the the pioneer of commercial waterfowl hunting in the state, in the area, actually. Um, he he developed a, a pond or a lake, if you will, um, that he provided a, an, a very expansive place to take hunters that didn't have their own place to go. Um, so, you know, you just paid a daily fee and you got to go along, uh, with Ralph and his crew and, and, uh, actually get to hunt ducks without the, the big outlay of trying to have your own equipment and place to go. So Ralph Kohler, that's where the Kohler blinds name comes from. Exactly. Yep. That's exactly it. Ralph started the duck blind in, in the summer of 1956 and uh, as his real business at the time, he was Kohler machine shop in town. So he was the, the machinist welder and, you know, fix all. And uh, so when he decided that he could make some extra money taking people hunting, he knew that he had to develop 
a warm blind that could keep people dry and comfortable uh, for a good portion of the day. And so he designed the blind in 1956 and made six blinds and they were okay, but they, they didn't work out to his specifications. And in 1957, he changed them. Um, and just now to this day, uh, the blind that I build now is the same overall footprint of what Ralph made in 1957. I just have changed uh, a bend here and a part there and the way we um, make some of the pieces just for production. Uh, but it's basically the same blind. So how did you come to take over the company? How was that? <laughs> well, over a lifetime of getting to go with Ralph and to be around it, you know, this, I knew at some point in time, I thought I've got to be able to do this some, some way. So as a high schooler um, growing up, I, I learned the trade and learned how to weld. And uh, I just always knew that I could make something like this. And as I just kept going through my college years and I get married, I just go, oh, I can still do this. And I found a shop here in Lincoln, Nebraska that allowed me to play and do some things. And uh, I actually got started um, building the blinds for Ralph um, in 1984. Wow. And I didn't realize I did... it was that long ago. That was before yeah, I was yeah. born. I wasn't even alive <laughs> yet. <laughs> yeah. So I did it at Hadlock Welding. Um, in you know, in Havelock, uh, with Kermit over there at Havelock Welding, he allowed me to come in and play and do a few. And of course, that turned into you know a 37 year relationship of you know just being around the shop and and uh, making blinds. So, what I did, Ralph sold his shop in Tecama in 1978. So he didn't have a place to continue any production if someone wanted a blind. And I kept thinking, man, oh man, at some point in time, you know, if somebody was making these, they could sell a bunch of them, you know, and, and, and so Ralph, Ralph career, never, Ralph never like sold a lot of them. He just built them for his own hunting place basically. And then, yeah. And then people that would come in and they'd say, God, would you ever, would you ever make us a blind? Okay. And he would do it. So, in his record keeping, you know, and he's just sharp as a tack yet to this day at 104 years old, um, he, he said that he made about 119 blinds in his career at the shop. And it really started in 57, 58, he made the first blind for someone else. And then he'd make a few, um, you know, as needed. And then, of course, he always was making a couple extra for himself. And at one time, Ralph had seven blinds, seven 12-foot blinds on one side of the lake and eight on the other side. Jeez. So Would there yeah, be so, that many people there at once? Well, oh. we'd only hunt one side or the other. Okay. But uh, typically, yeah, there, there could be, you know, six guys in a blind. There could be usually anywhere from 48. 42 to you know on down but uh typically 42 not... people out there yeah yeah at the end you know towards the end um he always had eight blinds right in a row and uh there were two days of the year two days every year he was completely full the jiffy lube corporation out of omaha would buy the place out and ralph would make notice that he could only have seven extra helpers come that day and there would be 48 people 
in those blinds. Yeah, forty-eight guns, and and, and it was you know people like, oh my God, the birds don't have a chance. Well, there's a lot of hilarious stories about having forty-eight guys out there, um, you know, with guns and you know just a few birds on a few occasions. So you, you would think that the birds don't have a chance, but so when, let me tell you when. You're out there actually hunting because I've never been out there with you, which I need to sometime. Are there like, is it just constant birds flying over or how does that work? You would hope it would be that way, but typically it's not. Um, You know, it's just you'll you you, we get there early before sunrise, obviously, because you want to be ready to go. Um, We can start 30 minutes before actual sunrise. So it's just light enough to see on a clear day. And on a cloudy day, sometimes it's still extremely dark right at shooting time. And that's when the birds are the most active. Right when the sunlight hits them, they get up and they get going. And they are looking for food. And then they'll move from the place that they spend the night, which is called their roost. They'll move to their uh, day hangout, which is usually called their, referred to as their loaf. And um, they'll just go and sit and, and loaf all day, sit in the sun take it easy like they're on a Caribbean vacation. And then, you know, at night when it gets cool, they'll go out, get something to eat, typically in a cornfield and go back to their roost. And, you know, sometimes that activity can last 10 minutes and some days it'll last two hours. And some days you'll have a flurry of activity. Then there'll be a pause. Um, Then the birds, it'll get cold. The birds will go look for food. They'll be back to their loaf. Maybe they get disturbed by something, an eagle or an airplane or other people, and then you have activity again. So, so when they come in, do they land on the on the lake that you're at, they, the pond, or do they just fly over? No, they're trying to land. Okay. Yep their 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 idea is to get in there with all because you know we'll have somewhere in the neighborhood of 800 decoys out. So oh. it looks like a refuge there, and they think, oh man, this must be the place. Look at all these guys are here ahead of us. You know. Okay. We'll just dive right in, you know, make ourselves at home and, uh, and we intercept that. And then you've got a way to keep the, is it a lake or pond? What should I call it? Well, I call it a lake, Okay. even though it's, you know, the average depth is about nine inches. Okay. So <laughs> most of it's probably closer to five inches deep, but there's a couple spots out there that are a little deeper just so we can keep it open, you know, this time of year in January. So you, and you've got a way to keep it from icing over, right? Correct. Yep. Okay. Yep. So. Because if it yeah, iced gotta, over, then they wouldn't come land, yeah, obviously. That, yeah, that's right. And the, the fun part about it this time of year is we do have out of three acres, the, the lake is three acres, but right now there's probably less than one tenth of it open, but that's all you need. The, they would prefer to come in, land on the ice. And if they need a drink, they'll walk over um, and get a drink. Or if they need to wash off, they'll jump in the water, uh, splash around, do their wash and take their bath and then jump right back up on the ice. Um, Birds have learned that they can escape danger much faster from a standing position rather than sitting. So um, it's one of the clever things that when you hang out with a a legend in this deal with Kohler, you know, I, I, I sell as many of these blinds as I can every year. And most places that I go that experience ice, they always want to keep the open water exactly right in front of their blind. And it's just ass backward. 
you want it to be ice in front of your blind and have the open water on one side or the other because the the birds will always try and land on the ice. Mm, Okay. And you want to catch them as they're landing then? As they're coming down? Okay. Yep. And so that way, if you make that ice that's most favorable for them right in front of your blind, then everybody in the blind or blinds, everybody gets to shoot. So if you have that open water in front and the birds try and land on the ice, that's either to the left or the right of you, then maybe only one guy gets to shoot. It's not favorable. So it's, it's just one of those little things that it, it's about 98.9% of the people do it backwards. How much customer education are you involved in? Because you, I think, actually travel with your blinds and install them. Is that right? Correct. About about 95% of them, I personally deliver and help them install. Yes. And so, you know, in in some cases, uh, especially now, you know, under the COVID regime, um, there's a lot of people that got involved in the duck hunting because, you know, college football was canceled you know a year ago and there just wasn't a lot of things going on and then uh, so there's a lot of education with it there's a lot of people that think that since i bring the blind i know where it should go you know and most typically i've never seen their place before i've never hunted there before i don't know what the birds do um you know but but they think i'm the blind expert so i should know right where to put it and i always i put that I, I defer that and say, you guys know this place, not me. You know, I'll put the blind wherever you want it. How far do you travel for these deliveries? Well, we'll go wherever we have to, to deliver it. We have one in Williams, California, which was 1,648 miles to the west. And I have one in New Jersey, which was just at 1,348 miles to the east. Wow. And uh, the last time we kept track, we have blinds in 39 states. Wow. So, so do I you think, know what the total blind count is at, including like what Ralph did and what you did, you have done? Uh, well, I know exactly how many I built and put in. Okay. And um, um, yeah, I mean, I could do the math real quick. Ralph said that he did 119 and uh, I have done 231. Wow. Yeah, so you're looking at three, that's 350 blind. Yeah. And, and this is out of, go ahead. ahead. This is in addition to actually leading commercial hunting trips, is that right? Correct. Yep, yep. I tell everybody that I hunt for a living, I just make duck blinds for money. <laughs> and it's, it's just, it's worked out. I just knew that if I could get this duck blind business going, um, that then I could fashion my lifestyle around um, the hunting so I never had to ask my boss or take time off to go hunting Um, that became my job and you know sometimes I have to take time off of my passion of hunting because people still want me to put duck blinds in in November and December and January and I still like to eat so I still I still make time to get those blinds put in but uh so did you ever have a a quote unquote full-time job that wasn't around duck blinds or welding? Yeah, I, I actually worked for uh, a family-owned Lincoln Poultry um, here in in Lincoln that was then initial then it was bought out by Cisco Food Systems. Uh, that was my last full-time gig. Um, but before that, 
I was a professional umpire and I taught umpiring. I and forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, Chloe's you know, over I, here like, are you kidding me? He's done everything. <laughs> The guy's, the guy's too smart. He's too nice. He could never do it. So so tell us about your umpiring, because I think I've heard some stories, but I forget now. You you went all over for that, right? You traveled? Yeah, traveled all over the country, and I, I umpired college women's softball. And then in the offseason, uh, I did mainly uh, fast pitch, both men's and women's fast pitch softball. And uh, then I got involved with uh, uh, actually – helping you know do umpire schools and trainings and clinics and things like that so it was a great it was a great thing um i probably would have stayed with it my whole life and tried to make a career at a different level um but then my kids grew up and all of a sudden my kids were involved in sports and sometimes during um april and march april and may they would have to come down to the ballpark um, to see their dad and that didn't work out very good so um, in about 1993 I had to make a little correction and think wait a minute my my son scored his first goal in a soccer game and his dad wasn't there to see it wow and that's not good so, wow so I thought you know we got to find something that or we got to just cut back because you know there again, when you get really good at it and you're in demand, uh, we made a very comfortable living because we could we could umpire um, six nights a week, and we were on the road nonstop, and it was just kind of a you know so fun the, career. So at that time, were you and your wife traveling around with like, and then you had a whole umpire crew? So was it like a little family that traveled around together? <laughs> No, the, most of the time it was just me and and my partner. Okay. Uh, or and then you know I would get paired with people. We would uh, this guy was we work here and then you would go down here to work down here and maybe we're gonna fly to Florida and we're gonna work there. We're gonna be there for a week, you know, whatever. And you just kind of got in um, certain people all over the country, you know, okay. that we matched up with and and you know you know in the summertime. Um, uh, there was a period of time in there where I was actually working for Pat Leach out at Leach Camper Sales. And um, the uh, perk of one of the perks with Pat Leach was uh, to take a motorhome anytime you wanted. Um, so we took a motorhome to every ballpark every weekend. So our, <laughs> our young kids, good. yeah. So the young kids, our young kids, you know, they could go inside, sit in the air conditioning and have a place for their nap and they could take a bath and get all the ballpark dirt off of them and, and uh, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, we just kind of have an oasis to spend the weekend and uh, worked out really good. You know, what's interesting. It's kind of like I didn't I forgot about that, but that kind of traveling and going around, it's it's a little not the same, but kind of similar how much traveling you do when you start when you put in blinds during your busy season. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like we joke around. We, we just live like a couple of gypsies because, you know, now when when I'm traveling, you know, my wife likes to go with me uh, as much as she can. So, you know, just a couple of years ago, we were both 54 years old uh, and neither one of us had ever been to Yellowstone, Montana. Um, and and we'd never been to the park. And so we've, we've got this first big deal. We got, we, we sell a blind to a guy in Dillon, Montana, and we're on our way and we're having the time of our life. Um, 
we just get to see the country and do everything. And we're uh, about 20 minutes outside of Bozeman, Montana, and my phone rings. And a young guy on the other end starts telling me, he says, I'm, uh, I'm researching your blinds on the website. Uh, he says, I'm in Bozeman, Montana. He says, how far would I have to go to see one of your blinds? Wow. I said, well, "Well, the first thing you need to do is hang up and go buy a lottery ticket. (laughs) Right. Uh, Because my my GPS says I'm 19 miles from Bozeman and I got a blind behind me. And he says, I'll meet you at mile marker 305 uh, at the rest area. I'll be in the blue Dodge truck. And okay. Uh, So we get off and sure as hell there's a blue dodge truck there and this great big cowboy gets out comes walking over introduces himself and he says you guys are really from lincoln nebraska yeah we are and he says yeah me too <laughs> oh my goodness said, what and he says yeah he says uh, about uh, 11 years ago uh, i did an internship out of the university of nebraska ag campus to come out here he says i've never gone back wow his 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 mom still lives here and he says um um, and like he says, no, I've never been back. Never. He's, and, and, you know, if you were where he gets to go every day and outside of Bozeman, Montana, you wouldn't go back either. You know, <laughs> if, if you watch the, if you watch the, the fascinating show Yellowstone on the Paramount channel and you see all that, it's, it's just exactly what it looks like there and you wouldn't leave. Um, so anyway, Matt, we, you know, we open up the blind, we show him on the road here and, and he says, okay, he says, I think this will work out for us. Uh, I'll do some research here and, uh, I'll get back to you. So we go on down to Dillon, Montana, another 110 miles. And, uh, the next day we put the blind in the ground for our customers. We're leaving. We're on our way to Yellowstone park. We're so excited. A phone rings and it's the guy we just talked to, Matt. And he says, well, Mike, we've, we've changed our mind. And uh oh, and I'm looking, rolling my eyes at Lisa. And she's, and he says, uh, we'd like to have three blinds instead of just one. Wow. And it's like cha-ching. So here we are 54 years old. We still haven't been to the park yet. And in the next 19 days, we were there three times. Wow. And that's how it all got started. And wow. Yeah. And, and it's just, like I said, we, we kind of run, we always joke that we just live like a couple of gypsies. You know, we, we can tell you where every loves or pilot uh, gas station is from one coast to the other. Uh, we also know where all the best uh, tap rooms and brew pubs are too. You know, well, we like craft beer. So uh, we have, uh, we have a couple of markers that we use and a couple of destinations that we never miss. And so, you know what you should do the next time that you're heading out and you're going through Colorado, you should stop and see Chloe because <laughs> she lives where, out there. Where at? Just in Denver. Oh, just in Denver. Yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> not the we, picturesque places you're talking about. Well, but that's all right. I mean, we we do very well at Fort Collins. Colorado. Oh, yeah. That doesn't surprise me. That's where my yeah, brother we, lives now, is in yeah, Fort Collins. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, that is a fun happening town. And uh, we we always, we have some very dear friends that we stay with there. And we never miss an opportunity to hang out an extra day on the road. So, so your your wife's name is Lisa? Correct. Does she hunt as well? No, no. She eats breakfast. Sure. Uh, <laughs> typically, one, one, day, one day a year when I don't have any hunters, any other hunters along. 
Um, she likes to go because she does like my biscuits and gravy that I make in the blind. Wow. And, uh, yep. And it's, you know, I can't duplicate it here in her kitchen. Um, there has been times when I have went out to the blind to get the cookware that I use out there and try to duplicate it on our kitchen stove. It just doesn't work. It has to be made in the duck blind in that facility and that, and, and that format. And, you know, um, it's just, it's just crazy the way it is. Maybe you should start another little side business, um, Mike's Biscuits and Gravy. And you can start. Yeah, 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 we'd have a cafe. That'd be the only thing on the menu would be you Biscuits could, and You could gravy. travel around to like, you know how high schools have, have the Waffle Man come? You, you yep. could be the Biscuits and Gravy Man. You could <laughs> yeah. just tow the duck blind in. That's your that's your yeah. kitchen. Yep. It's got to be made in the blind. And, and our friend from Fort Collins, Colorado, um, you know, he, he texts me the ingredients and I have to go shopping, you know, the day before he comes to hunt and then he comes to cook for us. And, mm-hmm. uh, he has a concoction called Southwest eggs Benedict Ooh. that takes him, takes him about two hours to, to start to finish to make. And, uh, he feeds everybody this unbelievable dish. And uh, his his real true life hero story would be some morning this would be going on and, and somebody would walk in carrying a couple of bags and it would be Bobby Flay and we'd have a, you know, a, a Southwest Eggs Benedict throwdown right out wow. there in the blind. And, you know, there are times, I'm not going to lie, there are times that our hunting operation is much better suited for the TV food network than it would be the outdoor <laughs> channel. Is it normal for blinds to have kitchen amenities like that, or is that specific to yours? Well, I mean, we like to think it's ours. Uh, we're the only person that has a built-in, you know, cooking and heat system in it. So there's a lot of other blinds that uh, people have made that, you know, that they can throw together. Because duck hunters and breakfast are synonymous. I mean, you just have to be able to have a signature dish in your blind that everybody knows. You know, you don't miss saturday because they're having this and uh, you know it it is it's like having the the old camp chef deal or you know uh, a a, a campsite cook that you know for a while i had a a guy that would tell everybody that i'm here to eat you can hunt anywhere and uh, you know it was very 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 obvious if you looked at him from behind that it was true you know (laughs) So are are blind manufacturers kind of proprietary about their product's features, or can you tell us about your blind and what's good about it? Well, most of us are very proud of our proprietary secrets. And, you know, what I try to do when I advertise and do stuff is show you just enough to get you curious and and, uh, then have them pick up the phone and call me. I'm still old school guy. I like to talk to people. Um, and, and just let, I want to be able to hear their voice and I can tell them very good judge of character. Um, if they're a tire kicker, if they're really, really somebody that's interested in a blind. Um, but the simple part of what our blind is, is it's weather tight. So every morning when you go to get in it, it's, you don't have to worry about it being wet from a rainstorm or snow or, you know, the way we've had wind here lately, um, not full of corn leaves or trash or anything else. So, um, it, it's just very, very nice and accommodating. Um, it's got the built-in heat and uh, the cooking 
you know, facility. But then it's got a top that's made so that everybody that comes and sits on that bench gets to watch what the birds are doing. Uh, a lot of blinds are made that they have either a flip or a roll top system. And in those blinds, typically only one person gets to watch the birds and usually they're the guy calling and then they decide when it's time to shoot they yell you know take them and you as the customer you have no idea uh, maybe you have a piece of tarp or a, a board or some mechanism that's over your head you have no idea and then all of a sudden it's either spring loaded or it rolls or whatever and then you stand up and try and find the birds and if it's windy, uh, by that time, the birds are already out of range. It's just, it's, it's no fun. Uh, most of the people want to watch the birds decoy and, and fly in and commit to you and, and just come in. And, and in our blinds, that's what it's all about. So when you're taking people out there in your experience, are they typically seasoned hunters who've been doing this a while? Or are you teaching people how to do this for the first time? It's a, it's a mix. Um, Typically, because I, I don't advertise anymore, um, it's most of the time it's repeat customers. But every year I still have, uh, you know, a new group um, with new kids that have never been in a duck blind. They don't know uh, the front from the back um, and they have really have no concept of what we're doing. Um, so it's those days are always fantastic because then it is, you know old school it's it gets me back to where i was in 1968 you know i get to be six years old teach somebody else how to do it and um uh, you know that's what i always tell it I, uh, you know i'm all i'm trying to do is carry on a tradition that ralph started you know it's just providing a really really comfortable functioning blind that you can spend the entire day in no matter what the weather is uh, because the unfortunate deal is you never know when the birds are going to come. Sure. They may come the first 10 minutes. They may come the last 10 minutes. But you got to have a hide uh, that you can, you know, be in all day and be comfortable. And, and uh, you know, that's where all the other amenities fall into place. When you say all day, you mean sunrise to sunset all day? Yep. All wow. day. Yep. Yep. Back in the days, in the glory days, when, you know, when you went with Ralph, he, he joked a little bit. He'd say, yep, we're here until it gets dark. We get the limit or we run out of propane, whichever happens first. (laughs) And that was, I mean, back in the days when I first started, we, we hunted from daylight till dark. And uh, uh, it, it, it's really only about nine hours and 40 minutes. Um, you know, during the best part of the year, um, because, you know, it's, it's light at 7.15 and you're done at five o'clock. Mm-hmm. So, but, yep, it was always dark to dark. So there were a lot of people that, that couldn't find my place or find Ralph's place in the daylight because the only way they've ever been there is when it's dark. Sure. You're, it's dark when you get there and it's dark when you leave. So, so when, it, when you, they come out in the summertime, you say, turn by the big red barn. And they go, huh? no such thing is it the same place where you do the hunting now is that where ralph used to hunt no 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 it's not i hunt by a uh, on a family farm up in butler county uh and and ralph had his own property in burt county right along the missouri river okay 
I imagine at 104, he doesn't get out much hunting anymore. No, he, he actually retired, uh, you know, when he turned 97. He finally decided oh that that was going to be it. And he and his wife, Dorothy, uh, moved from Burt County to Cayman, Nebraska, to Indio, California. Okay. And, uh, you know, so he'd put, he resisted retirement for several years and put this off for several years. There was, there was a big push. They wanted him to do it about 1994, 93 and 94. Uh, his two daughters lived out there and, and uh, they just kept, oh, come on, just, just call it quits. And he finally, he finally had to cave in and, uh, uh he went in 2014 wow. and, uh, um, and, and then that's, that is basically, uh, right when, when I decided that if, if he was going to retire and move away, I was going to make a big jump in my life and I was going to get out of the corporate world and I was going to make duck blinds for a living. So Jason, and I yeah. were talking a little bit off air before, um, before you called and you might be his oldest recurring customer. Did you know that? I might be. Yeah, like you date back to <laughs> the early days of his business. He's known you since he started. Yeah, I was just yeah. it dawned on me like I knew that he'd been around ever since I started and a little bit before. But then Chloe is like, "Is he the oldest <laughs> returning one?" And I said, "Yeah, I think so. I don't think I have anybody else from the super early days." Yeah, I, I think that's right because you know I found Kaiser painting and blasting. Uh, your dad had a, um, a salesman yep. that was trying Probably to very sell. first started. Yeah. Yep. And, and he was the one that got me going with a machine shop here in town. And then they tried to do their own powder coat and that didn't work out very good. As you know, you got to have a, a crew of people that understand how that science has to work. And, you know, that didn't work out. And that's how I found Kaiser. And, you know, it's been, it's, it's resolved uh, my coding issue ever since. So. Oh, we've had our trials and tribulations along the way, though. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was yeah, going to well, ask about that. What goes into coding a duck blind? Because it's it's probably, you know, a very demanding environment. For well, the... if, you ask, if you ask Mike, you can paint, he can paint one in 10 minutes. <laughs> but, but when you go to powder coat one, it takes a little longer than yeah. that. <laughs> but over the time, we've, we've, changed products as we've went along and tried different things to try to make it hold up better to the out in the elements and to the water and silt and mud that ends up getting tracked into the blind and i think over time we slowly but surely have gotten it better and better yep. every once in a while we have an issue and then it's been a way that i've learned a lot from it to just you know when when mike calls me like we got a problem and he's never mad and screaming at me he just says we got a problem and then shows me it and it helps we me say, learn about what we can do different and every time we, we make a little better. So, yeah. And right now, you know, they're just, that's one of the things nobody else powder coats their duck blinds, you know, mm -hmm. and, and people, what people that, that are my customers that understand the process of powder coating, you know, they go, how in the hell do you powder coat something this big? Mm -hmm. You know, how, how do you do it? And uh, well, you know, there's some magic that goes on down there and, and you know jace i don't know who you guys had how you guys came up with that first rotisserie 
but you know, as soon as we had a deal and we could make a center point for the blinds and we could hang them on a rotisserie, you know, then we really got to go. Yeah. I think that was my dad, Jay. I think he came up with that idea because yeah, that worked without that. We, I mean, to do coated as many as we've coated. So I just made a work order for the one that got dropped off yesterday and that was number 199 that we've coded. So yeah. It would have not been fun doing that many if we didn't have a way to <laughs> flip it over so you could actually get underneath it. Yeah, and, and people, you know, I, I keep that one picture, you know, close in my phone right where I know where it's at because people say, how do you do it? Because everybody gets to a point either at a sports show or the first time they see their blind when I bring it. And the, the first thing they do is they ask what that big two-inch pin is on each side. Yeah. Uh, is what's this? And I said, well, you know, you guys don't have that on your blind? Oh, that's the, that's the nuclear reactor control device pin. <laughs> and, and we have two of them. You know, there's not just, a, you got to have two of them because you never know which way this blind's going to go. And they look at you like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, I'm, I'm kidding you, you know. But uh, yeah, it's, it's just a fascinating process. And, and then, you know, the, the end result is the finish for the inside of the blind you know you can bury this thing in the ground and everything that happens on the outside stays on the outside and we hang an anode bag on the blind when we put it in the ground and uh, i can bore you with the details but yeah anode... boris boris with okay. yeah i want to know I'm okay. Curious. okay so so an anode bag um is what takes care of no, what's known as cathodic protection uh, cathodic protection has nothing to do with the Catholic Church. Okay? <laughs> it's the, the Pope knows nothing about this, I'm sure. But what it is, is there's a force in nature. Um, it's electrolysis. So when you put a piece of steel in the ground, uh, the ground says, oh, this don't belong here. And it will try and remove it uh, by eating it and rusting it out. Much like your body will take care of a sliver. If you get a piece of wood underneath your hand and underneath your skin if you can't get it out your body will eventually remove it for you Uh, when you bury a piece of steel in the ground it's very similar to that and so what this anode bag does is all that electronic current it's electrolysis that's actually attacking your steel if the powder coat has a flaw or there's a you know a little ding in it somewhere and there's you know it can get to it um what happens is the, the blind is grounded through a, a copper wire down to this bag. Um, and my wife, Lisa, hates this part of it, but it looks like a bag of cocaine. And oh. what it is, yeah, what it is, is it's a bag um, that's full of magnesium, a cotton bag full of magnesium. And the anode, ba- the anode rod is encased in that magnesium. So I pull it out and I spank it a little bit and just white powder flies everywhere. And you go, yep, you guys, here's your 10 pound bag of cocaine. You know, <laughs> Lisa just hates it when I do that. And, and so then what I do is I ground that. Jace always has a bolt hole in the lifting hooks that gets a piece of tape over it. So there's no powder coat there. And that copper wire goes through a bolt and it grounds out to the blind. And that 10, 10 foot lead goes down out away from the blind and the only only thing you have to do to activate that bag is just get it wet and it just gets buried right in the hole 
um, and then and that covered that, with dirt. that basically does the corroding, so the blind corroding. Right. So do do they have to replace that every so it, often? The, yeah, it's just one of those deals that typically it'll last about twenty to twenty five years. Whoa, okay, I didn't. Yeah, think it'd last so, that long. Yeah, and, and so it's all based on the soil type. So in the white sand of the Platte River in Nebraska, um, the life expectancy of the blind with an anode attached to it's about 75 years. Wow. Yeah, and then, you know, you used to go out regular uh, sandy loam soil with no alkali spot. Um, they're looking between 40 and 50 years. And and so what it does is, yeah, that, that electrolysis just follows the blind through that copper wire down to that anode and it and it eats the anode not the blind um, so you may you may find a place where you'll see a spot that maybe gets scuffed on the floor and you'll see a little rust uh, that's not the kind of rust that eats through the steel and makes a hole that's just the surface rust just like all the raw material that you have out on the lot that might get wet or damp uh, before you powder it that that's not going to be the stuff that eats through it the anode protects it um, every water heater in every home in the entire world has an anode rod in it um, and most outboard motors have a little anode pack on it uh, that just does the exact same thing people don't even know it's there wow and i had no idea we're and where you know, I have people that says, "Why in the heck do you put that on there? If if you if you sell this to somebody and you hang it on there, it doesn't rust out. You don't get a chance to sell them another one." And my whole philosophy is just the opposite. So, you know, people are spending excess of ten thousand dollars on a duck blind. I want it to be really nice, and I want them to have it for a long time. And you know. That way, when there's, someone else sits in it and sees it, then they want one because it's so nice, right? Yeah, that's 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 what's going on right now. You know, this is the time of year when, you know, we sold 11 blinds last week and we've sold three this week. Wow. And, you know, it's just crazy because those people, uh, you know, that's how it works. And, and you're exactly right. You know, I, I found this really cool deal. It's marketing, uh, you know, is what I tell people about my product. Mm-hmm. And branding is what other people tell other people about my product. Mm -hmm. And I don't put my name in there anymore. Um, I don't put the Kohler.com and the phone number in there anymore. Um, I did for a while. I put a sticker in there. I thought it made it cheap. And I learned very quickly that if I sell a $10,000 duck blind to somebody and his friends come and hunt in it and they say, man, this is the coolest thing in the world. I got to get one they always call me wow. and they said, Hey, Hey, I was just in Jeff's blind the other day. And this is the coolest thing. You know, I need three of them, you know? Okay. Um, we don't have a limit. If three is all you need, we'll stop there. But you know, if you decide you need five or six, we'll be more than happy to help you out. You know? So it's a lot of word of mouth. Most of the time. Yeah. And you know, the website is how we do it, but, uh, uh, it, most of it is basically word of mouth. And usually when people call Mike, if Kayser is on their A-game and been keeping up with getting stuff coded, he has them sitting there and they ask him, when can they have it? And then you tell them, well, let me look up on the GPS and I can be there in eight hours, right? Yeah, yeah, wow. that's exactly right. That, that's always the phrase that we're looking for. Um, that's the key. You know, if you, if you have people call, uh, you know, this is the time of year when, 
people are making plans. And if you talk to them for either two minutes or, or two hours, you always get to that point where they, if they say, how soon can I get one? That's the key phrase. And I'll look at them and I'll, I'll look, I said, well, you know what? Um, it's, it's three o'clock this afternoon. Um, I can be there by 10 tomorrow morning. Wow. And, and there'll be silence on the phone. Well, well I don't need it that fast. Oh, well, <laughs> uh, but I can, I can be there Monday. Oh no, you know, we're thinking maybe March or April. Oh, okay. Well, fine. But as soon as they ask you that question, how soon can I get one? Um, now uh, you want to make sure that you wrote down their name and their phone number because they're going to get one. Yeah. And, and it works just like that, you know. And, and then you also attend sports shows, it sounds like. Yeah, this is the sports show season uh, just starting right now. Usually it's always begins about the uh, middle of January, runs through about the end of February. And, uh, you know, with the COVID, that's really pushed us way back and limited our our deals. But uh uh, canceled shows again this year uh, for us, but but the Omaha Boat Sports and Travel Show uh, is going to be held this year. It's February 24th through the 27th, and at the uh, CHI Center in Omaha, and that's always our biggest show. Um, we typically will sell anywhere from eight to 15 blinds at that show every year. And it's all you, and is your wife involved? I mean, do you have a team who helps you with this? Well, I mean, you guys are my team. I mean, you know, it's it's all me, yes. And my wife helps me, yes. She's the travel coordinator. Um, she does all my hotel reservations if I'm running, you know, the gypsy life by myself. Um, the day trips, you know, if if I'm my rule is if it's if you're 400 miles away from my house, um, I go and come back the same day. Okay. Uh, and if you're 406 miles, I need a hotel because now I'm tired. Sure. And but 400 miles is my cutoff, and and I'll I always leave at 4 a.m. No matter where I'm going, um, it's wheels up at 4 a.m. and I can drive halfway across the state of Nebraska before most people are out of bed, and it's just me and the truck drivers, and I can get a lot done. And you just get going, get it done. So um, so for. I mean, me and you have, and Chloe Little have the vision in our mind of when you take off with a blind, but not everybody does. So you're not necessarily loading on a trailer. You've got a special way to haul it, right? Yeah. I, you know, there's just one of those deals born out of necessity one day. I just thought, why don't I just make the blind the trailer? And, uh, you know, working in the machine shop for as long as I have, you know, your, your ideas always kind of turn around and sometimes you have to make two and keep the best one, you know? And, uh, this was one of, one of my proudest moments. I, I had this idea of how to make the blind, the trailer and with the machine shop I was working with at the time, they said, yeah, we'll do it. You get the axles. And I got a couple of stub axles from the Dexter company and went up there, made a couple of brackets, uh, put it on there, took it for a test drive and said, yep, bingo, this is how it works. And we've been doing it that way ever since. And so now I have two licensed trailers that pull duck blinds down the road. Um, and I don't need any equipment to unload when I get to my destination. Um, if the, if the heavy equipment is there to dig the hole and put the, the blind in the ground. Perfect. And it goes a lot easier. If not, it takes me a, a floor jack and two jack stands in about 30 minutes 
and I can have it sitting on the ground. So to give our listeners a vision, basically he's got the duck blind that's going to eventually go down inside the ground. He bolts two wheels on it and then a hitch and it hooks right up to his truck. He puts temporary lights on it on license plate and he just takes off with it. So there's no lifting it up, moving around so he can drive it right to the hole next to the hole that's going to be in the ground and unbolt everything. And then it's good to go. So when he drives home, when you drive home, you're just driving home in the pickup. Yeah. I I, I have two fenders, two wheels, um, two axles, and there is a tarp, you know, a custom tarp that makes it aerodynamic going down the road and weatherproof. And uh, yeah, like you said, magnetic, magnetic lights. And if I'm on the East coast, I can still get 25 cases of yingling in the back. You know, Yingling. So, I haven't heard yeah. anyone say that brand in a while. What's oh my God, honey! How do you know that, is, It's a Pennsylvania yeah. beer, and you. Pennsylvania. It's oh, the oldest you... brewery. It's the oldest brewery in America. Yeah. Yes. Pennsylvania, and, right? That's where it originated. Yeah. Or was it Ohio? Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Okay. Yep. Is yep. that because and, you went and, to grad school out there? That's why you know that? Or that's just popular across the whole United States? Yeah, I think it's just my, my Pittsburgh roots. Okay. My dad's yep, side. Yep. Yep. So, you know, you, you joke and laugh about all those kids that played that game of Tetris all the time. But, uh-huh. you know, it, it takes a wizard to figure out how to get 25 cases of yangling in the back of your truck <laughs> with, with, with a couple of axles and fenders and other things to work around. If it's bottles, I can't do it. It's always got to be cans. Sounds like so, you're properly motivated, so that helps. It, it is. You know, it's, there's no secret that, you know, um, Lisa will put out a message on uh, Facebook or some other, you know, form of communication that I'm not up on um, that, hey, we're in Yingling country, put in your orders. And the next thing you know, you know, uh, we're, we're bootlegging Yingling back to Nebraska. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, and the only other place that we do anything that's even remotely crazy, if we end up with a blind in Wisconsin, uh, we always have to bring back uh, Spotted Cow from the New Glarus sure. Brewery. That's... And that's the only place we can get it, in Wisconsin. You, know. you have Yingling. a good taste in beer, Mike. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. And uh, we should be sponsored by the Kincader Brewing out of Broken Bow, Nebraska, because we, we make it a pack. We take a 12-pack of Devil's Gap, the jalapeno ale that the Kincader Brewing Company makes. We take 12 cans and a bottle of Zing Zang with us for every install. And then we have another friend in uh, down by Kramer, Nebraska, that makes all of our goose jerky for us. And we have a package of goose sticks, a 12-pack of of Devil's Gap, a bottle of Zing Zang. We always say we'll be we'll be having red beer and eating goose sticks on the tailgate in four hours. That's always the pack I make with my customer. And do you do you rim the glass with anything? Any spices? Not. We don't try and show off. Okay. No, okay. No. But 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 there have been requests, and sometimes there is a, a stalk of celery in there because we Ooh, can make okay. it taste like a Bloody Mary. And uh, yeah, we do improvise, but we're not showing off for anybody. No. I did not know that goose could be made into jerky, but I guess that makes sense. Oh yeah, it's the best thing. It absolutely is the best. I presume you eat all of the ducks that you get. Absolutely, it's phenomenal. Wow. Yeah. So what's it, the range of? Can you cook a duck like uh, you would like a turkey? Then, or how's that work? No, a duck is duck is a is a very unique game bird. It needs to be cooked basically like beef. Um, medium rare is perfect for duck breast. 
um, and you know, it, it's just made on the grill is always the best. Um, now, my wife uh, is 110% Czech, and uh, the Bohonk style of having uh, duck, dumplings, and sauerkraut is to die for. But Lisa won't make it with the duck I shoot. She always has to have, you know, store-bought duck for that. Why um, is that? So it's just a taste thing. Okay. You know, there can be there can be issues um, with the way you have to process it because of um, getting all the blood out, um, mm. that kind of stuff. So she doesn't care to do it. But um, do you process everything yourself? Yep. Yep. And I, I get it already. If it's if it's uh, Going to uh, my friend Bruce down by Kramer, uh, there's one pile that's made for pastrami and one pile that's made for jerky. Mm-hmm. And the, the pastrami that he does is phenomenal also. So, I've only ever had duck and orange sauce, but you're, you're opening my eyes. Yeah. We Traditionally in the duck blind, we would always, every Sunday, we would have philly cheesesteak sandwiches made with duck and goose meat that we shot the week before wow uh, it take about two pounds of meat and uh you know we would make it in the blind and we would toast hoagie buns and have uh all the trimmings and and most people would never know that it's not beef um it, it looks like and tastes just like beef the way we do it and we actually even had a going away party for our son when he joined the uh, Air Force 17 years ago. We made 40 pounds of duck and goose meat, uh, Philly cheesesteak sandwich style, and a big party. And uh, our favorite Catholic priest came, and he's just one of these guys that absolutely would never eat any wild game. And so we fixed him up a sandwich, and he mows through that. And uh, you know, getting down towards the end of 40 pounds. And I said, Father, there's just enough for one more sandwich. Would you eat it? Help me get rid of it. He says, oh, yeah, absolutely. Make it up. I'll eat it. I says, there's nothing wrong with a goose meat sandwich. And he said, moose meat? Where the hell do you get moose meat from? And I said, no, 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 Father, goose meat. He said, yeah, goose meat. He knew I worked at the, you know, at Cisco at the time. He said, yeah, yeah, comes from Cisco. I know how you guys talk. And uh, made him up that sandwich, and he got through about three quarters of it before somebody said, yes, Father, this is actually duck and goose meat. Mike shot this and wow. we've been saving it and, and the rest of that sandwich sat on his plate that he'd never take another bite of it. And, oh man. Uh, and we, we, we still make fun of him to this day about it, but uh, yeah, phenomenal. It's just, you know, it's, it's fast food, you know, because those ducks and geese, when you're trying to shoot them, sometimes they're really moving. So that's great. It's, it's, yep. It's fun stuff. Well, I guess just kind of as a, a closing note, um, you found a way to make your hobby slash passion your whole life's work. Do you have any advice for people who are looking to do the same thing? Yeah, like absolutely. Me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is the first thing you have to do. And promise me that you'll do this. If you're listening to this, what you need to do is you need to Google Steve Harvey and the word jump, J-U-M-P. Watch that. Okay. That's all you got to do. Steve Harvey jump. I'm making jump. a note. Yep. You watch that. Okay. And then, and then you're going to get into a position 
where you have to ask yourself, are you ready to jump? And if you're not ready, you won't. Um, you know, I'm one of the firm believer that everything happens for a reason. And timing uh, typically is everything. Um, do I wish I could have done this starting when I was um, 30 or 35 years old? Absolutely. Um, but apparently I wasn't ready at that time. And I saw Steve Harvey jump. And I thought, man, it's now, now's the time. And it, it, it didn't take any longer. And, um, you know, sometimes you just got to be really careful for what you wish for, because it might just come true. I love that. It's a good way to end it. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for being on and helping us laugh and learn a, hey. little, bit, learn a little bit more about you. Now everybody will oh. know who we're talking about when we say Duck Blind Mike down at Kayser. Yep, yep, he's here. They always tell, I tell the girls in the office, you know he's here because he talks loud and draws a crowd most of the time. Because <laughs> <laughs> he can't hear them. Hearing aids will do anything for you, you know, so. All right, well, we'll see you soon. I'll probably see you on Monday. Thanks for okay. spending time with yep. us. We'll talk to you later. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Bye. 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 So that was Duck Blind Mike. Now everybody knows why we call him that and why we think that he's so funny and he's such a good friend now and we get along so well. Um, I mentioned in there that uh, even when there's an issue with a coating on a blind, Mike never flips out and hollers and screams. He just calls me or sends me a picture or shows up um, down at the shop and says, well, we got a problem, which when that first was happening, my heart would always sink because you never like early customers you never want to let them down and on on his stuff it was always catastrophic in terms of you know this is a big blind going down in the ground if powder starts to flake or starts to chip or water gets underneath we're talking like probably coming off in sheets at that point so it's a it's very uneasy to look at those pictures or anything like that um and we posted there's been a video that we've circulated a little bit of when we were having problems with alkalinity residual alkalinity and just ridiculous coating coming off and that was like one that just come out of the oven Mm because that hadn't even been in service yet so you can imagine how panicked i am when a one foot by one foot sheet is just literally falling you breathe on it and it falls off and i'm thinking you know we got a 12 foot long blind by you know sitting on the ground it's probably four and a half foot tall and five foot deep. So I'm thinking, man, if this is falling off right here, where do we got problems everywhere? So am I going to have like five foot by five foot sheets of powder peeling off? Um, but the biggest challenge with, with the blinds is we don't blast them because it has a, a lot of expense, right? We always say that blasting almost doubles the cost and Mike has to stay competitive. Um, with other blinds in the market and not to my knowledge, most of them are not, not even powder coating them. So like the coating portion is like no cost for all this competition. Um, so we don't blast them. So that's like, okay, we have this really big metal piece that's going down into the ground, going to be exposed into, you know, an area that always has water because they're around a lake or a pond. So this is like worst case scenario for a coating and we're not giving it a good anchor profile. Um, 
so over time we've had to play with pre-treatments and played with different formulations of powder um but i'm i'm rambling on now i'm trying to sum up a conversation we just had with mike but basically what what i'm getting at is when it even is a disastrous issue me and him just work through it and every time we tweak the powder formulation a little we've tried a lot we've had one two three four five six i think we're on our sixth formulation and we've made improvements the whole way um and uh we've adjusted our pretreatment process throughout throughout and i actually have an idea on to make it a little bit better with our pretreatment that i'm gonna i want to i want to try it but i don't want to try it because i don't want it to go wrong on a big line so i think i might try it on uh some of the he has little dog boxes that he didn't talk about but he has little things that you're you can put next to your blind that your dog can sit in Mm-hmm. And so, so it's like a little mini blind for a, a dog. So I'll probably try it on those parts um, to to help just more long term durability. But anyway, he's he's always great to work with. Um, he always gives him give me a hard time that he can paint them way faster than we can powder coat them. And <laughs> he, according to him, he can do it in like ten or fifteen minutes, and the whole blind's painted perfect with no runs and no <laughs> no uh, light spots. But that's just Mike being Mike. Challenge extended, Mike. Go ahead. <laughs> See what happens. Because he did used to paint them himself. We did should he? have talked to him about that. Yeah, he could have told us. He he used to paint them himself. So. Wow. But, yeah, good conversation with him. We'll have him on again in, in the future. I'm curious of what he's going to. I wonder how long he's going to do it. I wonder if he'll do it till he's 97 like, like uh, Ralph Kohler. That would not surprise me in the least, yeah. if I'm honest. Yeah, he's still real um, in good shape and, you know, always he's always out in the elements when he's having to deal with blind, so he's used to hard work. So speaking of pretreatment, um, we had a question from social media that came via Instagram Messenger from Flow Coatings LLC, and they say, hey man, been listening to your content for a while and enjoy it. I want to learn more about the nuts and bolts of different types of chemical pretreatment. Do you know of a good place to learn about it other than sourcing bits and pieces of information from a ton of sites? First of all, thanks for listening to our content for a while. It's I wonder how many people out there do and we don't even realize it, you know? Like yeah. we're to the point now where we put out enough. That there's probably a lot. Yeah. And that's interesting. Yeah. Which we had a... A customer, and I think I told you this. I'll answer the quiz question in a minute, but I'm in a talkative mood today for some reason. Do it. Probably because Chloe is here in the Kaiser gas <laughs> studio. Um, but uh, there's a we're doing some ag equipment for a new customer, and uh, the first time he was making a delivery in early December, and it was going to be crappy weather, and he made he called or emailed and made a comment like, "Well, I was going to deliver this Friday, but." Uh, I've been reading your blogs, and I'm, it sounds like that it's not good to deliver when it's raining or snowing. And I'm like, wow. dang. This is why we do this. Yeah. This is why we put in all this work. So that was nice. And, like, even, like, he's a super nice guy. Uh, Jason Bode with Bodie Farms, uh, Cedar Lane Seed is the name of their company. Um, but we were getting ready. I was helping him load it up the first time. And it's really big pieces that I got to get on a trailer and, and uh, I he kept asking me questions. I'm like, I, however you want to do it is fine. We just put foam in between. He's like, well, you're the expert. You know how to do this. I, don't, I, want, I want you to tell me how to do it. I'm like, okay. 
I like to tell people how to do things. So I'll do it. <laughs> okay. So anyway, this, uh, this pretreatment question, how can you learn more about it? So anything in the blasting and coatings industry, including pretreatment, um, information doesn't exist on it. Unfortunately, we've been talking about that a lot recently. Um, something we're going to work on. It, it just ties. It's, it's the reason why coatings don't get any respect or paint doesn't get any respect. There's just, um, the, the knowledge is tied up in people with a lot of experience. It's usually older individuals in the industry. And so I, um, was born an old man like Sherry, my mom says, and I gravitate towards the older people and they become my friends and I rely on them a lot to learn information from, and I like learning. So, and I absorb pretty well. So how I've learned it all is just observing it from sales reps, essentially, usually ones that are more like technically apt. So they actually can, they're not just trying to sell me something. They actually know about the product. And so in terms of pre-treatment, I learned everything I know from Bill Townsend and other reps that come through that, that want to try to sell me something or try to prove that they know something about chemical. I always try to ask them difficult questions and see how they respond and, Usually, if everybody's kind of responding the same way, then you know that that's probably the way to do it. Um, so in terms of like going out and Google searching, you're probably not going to find much that's applicable to what you're doing at your level. Um, you really need someone to talk to you on like a case-by-case -case basis. So the best way, I mean, I think our blogs are a good source of like general knowledge for pretreatment and like other videos that we have. But to get real specific to your application... I suppose you could like first person video and like post it on one of our, I just thought of this post on one of our social medias and then like I could first person video back. That'd be cool. That would be cool. We should start that. We should. Or, um, you're just going to have to like, whoever you're buying your chemical from or going to buy it from, hopefully someone at that company can help with some technical knowledge and you just got to pick their brain. Um, and hopefully they're a good one. And, you gotta you gotta keep asking questions. I mean, if you really want to understand it, it's not good enough to just ask them like, "Hey, we're pre-treating steel. Um, you know, what, what? How much is the chemical gonna cost?" Because they're just gonna quote you the chemical and send it, and you're really not gonna learn anything. You, you know, if you want to know about it, you just gotta you gotta start asking the people that um, know about it, essentially. Which, for the most part, in the industry, is just people that you buy things from. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's difficult because still a lot of it, you kind of have to learn on your own, which I still, I feel like that Kaiser can kind of fill a little bit of a void with some sort of education to help with our own training, but then just to help other people. Cause I do feel like when something's not working right with any of our equipment, I mean, I can call a couple people that I know and get a little bit of input, but nobody really has the exact answer. Mm -hmm. Or especially if I'm like deviating from the norm a little, nobody has like the true experience with it. And so then you just end up trying to figure it out yourself. So I feel like I've built up knowledge that way. So I guess I'm lucky in that sense. And maybe other people can't pick stuff up like that. Um, it does seem like every part of the process is so subjective. It depends on where you live, your water conditions, your, you know, um, environmental conditions, equipment you're using. And it's like, there's no real way to give a hundred percent solid answer. Right. And I think this guy's from the sounds of it. He wants to learn more about the nuts and bolts of different types of chemical pretreatment. Right. I mean, our content, it 
tells you that. So I would go there first, but then it's sales rep, I think. Right. A good sales, good, good, good technical sales rep. Yeah. So there's a right way and a wrong way to do things, but also sometimes everything is just gray. <laughs> no. <laughs> there's definitely always the right way. <laughs> I'm team gray. You're team gray. Interesting. I, uh... Interesting. I feel like that you're kind of a right and wrong, though. I'm a rule follower, um, but I like nuance. All right. Yeah. This was a good one. It was. All right. KaiserCast episode 19. Do we know who we have next? We've been having kind of problems get organizing yeah. people. And... Ross Sedbeck for sure is joining us in February. Um, That'll be a good one. He's yeah. going to give me a hard time because... He that's that's another little avenue into a different into pretreatment because okay. he's starting to sell a Troy chemical, and uh, I'm supposed to be doing some testing with their chemicals. I was supposed to do it over Christmas break, and then ended up getting into all my maintenance and not having enough time. Um, so we can talk to him a little bit about pretreatment there. I don't know how knowledgeable Ross is on it yet because his background is mainly paint coatings, um, so. Maybe we can give him a little education on pretreatment on the I'm sure he's he's a nice guy. He likes to learn too, so I like him. Who else do we have? We need some more guests. So if you're listening to this and you want to be on, even if you're like just a family friend. We're accepting volunteers. Yeah. But you gotta want to like talk about fun stuff. If you want to be real private, then don't don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> Because we go deep on KaiserCast, I feel like. You got to open up. Oh, is it time for another like in-depth one with um, Chloe and Sherry interviewing Jace? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, that's always good content. Yeah. All right. This wraps up KaiserCast episode 19. Check back for episode 20 in a few weeks. Hey, is everything working good for you? You need anything? Anything broke? Anything leaking? Just make sure we stay on track with the yellows and everything will be fine. Little things lead to big things. When you stay late tonight, we need to get this job finished up. Overall, I think everybody's doing a great job. Keep up the good work getting hot out so make sure you're drinking plenty of water i know this job's been difficult and everybody's getting frustrated but if we can't do it nobody else can that's the reason why the job's here because nobody else could get it figured out just keep working at it don't get frustrated we'll keep collecting data taking good notes and we'll get it figured out does anybody else have anything